if you have a Bible on you, uh, please go to uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians is the sixth book in the New Testament. So all you got to do is find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. Um, so something that's going to be pretty similar uh, to how the young adult ministry has been uh, previously is that on Sundays, uh, we're going to go through passages in the scriptures. Uh, so I'd really encourage you to have a Bible uh, with you. I'm, I'm kind of a big fan of paper Bibles uh, just because, like today, for example, we're going to be flipping around a lot in 1 Corinthians, and it's much easier uh, to get from chapter 1 to 5 with a paper Bible. If you have uh, a mobile phone, that works great. If you have a phone, you don't have a Bible app, just Google it. All right, It's just, it's just good. Um, it's just much easier um, to learn and to apply the Word when you have it in front of you. So I'd encourage you guys uh, to bring it. So uh, just survey the class. Has anyone here... Um, has anyone ever done the wherever my Bible opens today devotional plan? Okay. All right. So I've been there. All right. Uh, you're maybe in between Bible reading plans or you're struggling and you just kind of open it up, you know, and, you know, you end up in Luke 23 and Judas hangs himself and you're like, okay, I'll try. Let's try that again. You know, let's see. Um, but uh, I think um, I think it's, it's really tempting uh, wherever we are in the scriptures, uh, to approach them in a similarly, uh, perhaps even haphazard way. Uh, even if you're very disciplined and you go through books of the Bible, uh, it's very easy to approach a passage and say, what's here for me? And now I think, uh, I think there's some good in that. I think we, uh, we should desire uh, for the Lord to meet us, uh, especially if it's our, de- our devotions. Um, and I think the Holy Spirit can do that. Anywhere in the scriptures, any day, uh, God can meet you where you're at. Um, however, uh, when we are studying a passage and we, and we really want to understand it and apply it to our lives, it's really important that the first thing we understand is what it meant when it was written. So um, I don't know who here has Snapchat. Are you guys in, into Snapchat or is that more of a middle school thing? <laughs> just raise your hand, okay? Just, just Okay. All right, most of you guys, all right? Um, imagine, all right, imagine getting someone else's Snapchat, you know? Like, you know, you, sometimes, sometimes I think you say to your friend, like the words you'll put on the screen with Snapchat or the picture, the kind of pictures you'll take, and it's kind of like, what in the world, you know? Imagine getting someone else's Snapchat. Or, you know, if you're, if you're older like me in your, you know, use of technology, imagine getting an email or a letter, all right, that was literally written to someone else. It's kind of like, um, you ever been, been in a situation with your friends and you just you missed a night or something, and someone tells something that does not sound funny at all, and everyone dies laughing, and you're like, what? What is so funny? And they're like, you just had to be there, you know? Um, and when we approach the scriptures, in a sense, if you're, if you're going to understand them, you kind of have to have been there. You have to, you have to get um, into the situation uh, the book was written in. And so, um, in other words, you have to get to Corinth before you can get to Charleston. Does that make sense? You have to get to what it meant to them then before you can get to us now. Here's a little chart uh, that someone showed me. And you've got the scriptures, how they're written, okay? And the path you want to travel, all right, when you, when you study the word. But what we're going to try to do uh, on Sundays is we're going to get first to them and then in Corinth. And then from them and then, we're going to try to figure out some principles, all right? And we're going to try to see Jesus. And then we're going to come to us today. Uh, that just kind of helps me visualize uh, what we're doing. So anyways, uh, we are going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians. So before we jump in, uh, I'm just going to pray for us and ask the Lord to bless our study and to be here. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, um, 
Thank you that you have spoken through your word. Um, and thank you that through the spirit, you speak to us today and you, you speak through the word to our lives, to our hearts. And we just pray you'd help us to be uh, careful um, and reverent as we approach the word this morning. Uh, please enable me to teach rightly and please just work. Uh, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to try to get to Corinth. Uh, Corinth, uh, can everyone here picture in their heads uh, Europe? All right. Most, most Americans know where Europe is. South Asia, no way, you know, but Europe, okay? All right, and you, you, see, you see Italy, all right, in your head, Italy, okay? Go east a little bit of Italy, and you have the islands of Greece, all right? Uh, Corinth was a city located in the southern part of Greece uh, on a very interesting geographic feature called an isthmus, okay? I learned something new when I was studying about this, okay? An isthmus is a tiny piece of land that is between two giant bodies of water. So there's a little piece of Greece, uh, the, the Mediterranean Sea's here, and the Aegean Sea's here, and there's this tiny piece of land, and Corinth sits right on the northern part of that isthmus. And of course, that's, why is that significant, okay? It's significant because that made Corinth a major trading city of the Roman Empire. So there were about 200,000 people in Corinth in the ancient times, which is a giant city in the ancient days. Many cultures intermingled, um, but it also developed and kind of set the value system and the culture uh, of Corinth. Uh, Corinth was a place where you wanted to make money and get ahead. Anyone here ever lived in New York or worked in New York? Um, well, I've, known, I've known a few people, but the culture there is pretty, uh, everyone knows the culture of New York. It's work hard, play hard. You know, you have 80 hour work weeks and then you have crazy club scenes and everyone who goes to New York, all they want to do is make it. You know, the, the philosophy of life is survive and advance in New York for many people. Uh, and Corinth was like that. Uh, what they valued in Corinth was affluence, and social advancement and doing whatever it took to get ahead. Um, additionally, um, this is kind of funny. They, uh, their, their entertainment even reflected this. Now, people in Corinth didn't have Netflix, all right? Uh, so the way they would entertain themselves is they would, uh, they would invite traveling speakers to come, and the speakers would charge a fee, and they'd listen. And what was valuable about these speakers was not if what they said was true, but if it sounded good and if it was convincing. So all, all they cared about, Corinth was a very pragmatic place. What mattered was what got you ahead. Um, it was also a part of the Roman Empire, which means that uh, paganism and sexual immorality were a regular daily part of life. There's, a, there's three chapters in 1 Corinthians are devoted to uh, how you handle uh, food offered to idols, um, which is very interesting. Um, and you're like, how does that apply to me? But in Corinth, uh, you probably could not go to the grocery store or the marketplace without encountering half of your food having been offered uh, in a sacrifice to a Greek or Roman god. So I was watching uh, HGTV one day, all right? Um, this was, I don't have cable, but this was when I was someone else's house. But anyways, the guy on HGTV, they had these crazy shows where guys travel all over the world. Oh, this is the Food Network, sorry. The Food Network, okay? And uh, this, this particular Food Network, yeah, much, much more interesting, okay? And this guy was in India, and um, he was in the back at a kitchen in India. And every time they would make uh, a set of food for a table, all the workers would stop. They would bring it before their little idol of Krishna, and they would stop, and they would pray, and they would offer the food to Krishna before delivering it to the people sitting there. The question uh, in 1 Corinthians is, if you're a Christian, can you eat that? And it's kind of complex. But anyways, that was a daily part of life. Paganism was all over the place. You could not walk down the street without seeing idols. 
Additionally, uh, the sexual culture of the Roman Empire was everywhere. Um, there was probably a guy who lived in Corinth 30 years before Paul went there, wrote about a temple to the goddess of love that had a thousand prostitutes, where sex with a prostitute was an act of worship. Now that's a little, yeah, okay, but that's, that's Corinth. Um, if you, if you want to get there in your head, if you really want to try to wrap your head around what it would be like to live in Corinth, um, maybe think of uh, some kind of combination between working on Wall Street and walking down Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras in, uh, in Louisiana. That's kind of that's where we're at. That's life in Corinth. And so almost all of the people that this letter was written to uh, were people who were saved out of this cultural background. This is how they were raised, this is what their parents did, this is how they lived, and they were saved out of this background. Acts 18 uh, actually tells the story of the founding of the Corinthian church. One of the really cool things about Acts is you can almost, you can get the background of almost any church in the New Testament from the book of Acts. It's really great. Uh, but uh, Paul, Paul is ministering in a synagogue there, a uh, place where the Jews gathered, the, place, the only place with morality in the, in the whole city. Um, but at one point in Acts 18.6, uh, the Jews start to oppose and revile him. And so he says to them, your blood be on your own head. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And Paul uh, converts a few Jews. They get baptized. But then he starts to speak uh, in public places and in the house of a few noble pagans. And many Corinthians come to Christ. Uh, the scriptures say that many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Paul stayed for probably a year and a half or two years, and then, like Paul always did, he moved on to a next missionary venture. Um, and a few years pass, okay? So Paul's, uh, Paul's traveling, things in Ephesus, hanging out, um, and he starts to hear some really discouraging things about the church in Corinth. Again, this sidebar here, imagine, uh, imagine you share the gospel with a coworker. all right? They come to faith in Christ. Things are great. They hang out with you for a year. You disciple them, and then they move to Seattle, and you start to see their social media feed, and it starts to look really bad. All right, so this is happening to Paul. He, uh, he receives a letter. Uh, he hears of uh, sexual immorality in the church, and he writes the Corinthians a letter, which he references in 5.9, a letter we don't have. It says, uh, in, my, in my previous letter, I told you not to associate with sexually immoral people, and they misunderstand him. Uh, Chloe's people, this is uh, people in uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, these people were Paul's friends. They come to him and tell him of all of the crazy things happening in the Corinthian church. I'm just going to list them for you, okay? Uh, here's, here's what's going on. Here's church life in Corinth, all right? Um, the church is divided over who their favorite teacher is, all right? They're fighting about it. Um, a man in the church is openly sleeping with his stepmom, and nobody's doing anything about it, all right? They, uh, people are getting drunk at the Lord's Supper, and the congregation does not believe in the resurrection, and people are taking their spiritual gifts and bragging about them. That's the, that's the list he gets from Chloe's people. That's uh, that's what church life in Corinth looks like. And around the same time, okay, it just keeps uh, just keeps getting worse. Uh, Paul receives a letter from the Corinthians that asks him all sorts of questions. So you can see this uh, in chapter seven. Paul says things like, "Now concerning about the, about the matters in which you wrote." Um, they write him all these questions. Uh, one of the things they wrote was, it's good for a man to not have sexual relations with a woman, uh, meaning husbands and wives. So just think about this. This is how confused they were in Corinth. Husband and, husband and wives thought it was evil 
to have sex with each other, and all of the non-married people were being immoral. That's how weird it is, all right? Um, things have gotten crazy. Uh, a, a pastor who's now really not in the public light anymore uh, preached a series on 1 Corinthians and called it Christians Gone Wild, which uh, is not the most appropriate series title, okay? Uh, but it's, it's really close to what's going on here. This church had lost it. Um, and that kind of immaturity might shock us at first. But just, you got to keep in mind that these people have been believers for two or three or four years. Um, the, you guys probably see the power. Everyone here has a different story. Some of you guys have been Christians since you were seven. Some of you were converted in college, like me. Um, but everyone, you can sense the power that your old life and that the culture around you can place on you. Uh, when I had been a Christian for one year, all right, I was a sophomore in college, been a Christian for a year, uh, I was still carrying around a fake ID so that I could go to the bars and drink with my friends. Uh, one of my friends in campus outreach uh, lovingly confronted me about it, and here was my response to him. I said, hey man, do you speed? Do you go over the speed limit? He was like, he was like yes. He's like, that's what I'm doing. I'm breaking the law. Get off my back, okay? That was my response to him. Wow, you know, and I'm a pastor. Good gracious, like, right? There's some immaturity and some arrogance there, okay? All right, fast forward a year, okay? Fast forward a year, all right? A year later, all right? I am no longer, I no longer have a fake ID, but now, now I don't speed. Now in my mind, it's like a, an offense against the Lord to speed. I took a whole cross-country road trip to Colorado, all right, without going over the speed limit. Think, just think about that, okay? So, what happened in my life, okay, there was this... There was this, uh, I know, that's crazy. I just can't, I can't believe it. Uh, it. It cost me like seven hours of my life that I'll never get back. Um, but this pendulum swing in my life, right? I went from way over here to way over here. Worse, okay, worse. Uh, I, had, I had started listening uh, to a really, uh, really gifted teacher named Vodi Bakum, who is solid 75% of the time. But he's got some really strange views about uh, Christian families, and particularly about birth control. He believes that birth control is an evil thing, and that Christians should have as many children as the Lord allows. And, you know, he was the first gifted preacher I'd really, like, heard who really struck me. And so, guess what the first issue Sarah and I worked at when we were dating? Christian birth control, okay? Like, now, anyways, all that to say, that's, you got to kind of like, oh my gosh. Like, all that to say, okay, um, is that for a Christian who comes out of a, a background that is grossly immoral or that is distant from the Christian worldview, this is what it looks like at first for many people. Cultures and backgrounds have power to influence you. Even though you're new in Christ, even though you have a new life, you have the Holy Spirit, it is very easy. It's, not, it's, it's, it's evil, but it's not shocking when Christians take their cultural values and just import them into their Christian lives. That's not a shocking thing. And that is the key to understanding 1 Corinthians. Um, these, these believers, in their immaturity in Christ, in their brand newness in Christ, had imported their backgrounds and their cultures into their Christian life. Corinthian culture was boastful and arrogant, and they brought that into the church. Corinthian culture was sexually immoral, so it wasn't a big deal in the church. Corinthian culture, Roman culture in general, believed that the afterlife was not really anything, so they brought that into the church. Their cultures 
and their their lives had influenced. Let me just give you an example. We'll just I'll do this quickly, okay? Let's imagine. I want to get a little closer to what a modern day Corinthian Christian looks like in America. All right, let's talk about a guy named Joe. Okay, Joe grows up in San Francisco with two gay parents who have an open marriage. All right, where there's no expectation of being um, faithful to your spouse. That's a okay. He grows up that way. Partners in and out. Okay, both of his parents make 250 grand a year. And they live a lavish lifestyle, working 80 hours a week. Their parenting phrases for Joe, okay, are, you got to do you, okay, and you're special. All right, that's, that's how they parent Joe. That's what they say to him, okay. Um, Joe grows up as a casual drug user. He smokes pot with his parents on the front porch on Sunday, Sunday afternoons, okay. He's immoral in all sorts of ways, all right. And he goes to college at USC, Southern Cal, not South Carolina. And uh, at the end of his junior year, he's converted. Things radically change, death to life. He's got these amazing campus pastors who have all this time for him. He gets discipled once a week. There's this great growth in his life. But then he graduates, all right? He gets a job. He was a computer science major. Gets a job, all right, in San Fran, back home, in this bloodthirsty work culture where people are stabbing each other in the back, stealing sales from each other. And three or four months, we'll say six to eight months, out of college, all right, Joe is starting to publicly criticize the pastors at his little church because they're not nearly as cool as his campus pastors, all right? He's starting to cheat at work, and he's starting to back off the whole homosexual, homosexuality is a sin thing. My question to you guys, is that surprising? It's sinful, it's wrong, he needs to repent, but it's not that surprising. Joe has a story. He has a background. He has a culture. He, you know, San Francisco is a tough place, guys. I think there are, there are three, like, Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches in San Francisco that each have 100 people each. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a churchless, godless place. You know, he's, he's in this godless culture. It presses on him. And so, he's not a victim. He's a sinner. But his lack of maturity in Christ, his lack of groundedness in the Lord, had led him to import his culture and his background onto his Christianity. Uh, Paul David Tripp, who is a wonderful uh, Christian counselor, has this little, uh, little illustration he has called the gospel gap. He says that he says a lot of us live with a big gospel gap. The gospel, the news about Jesus and his, his life and death and resurrection for us, that, we, that starts our Christian life. All right? it, it's how we, we become saved. We all have that story. Most of us do. That I was saved here whenever I believed in Jesus. Okay? Um, and then it tells us the answers to all the big stuff, where I go when I die, who God is, etc. But there's this giant gap in how we actually live our lives, how we make decisions, how we treat people who, who hurt us, how we deal with disappointment. There's this huge gap between when I come to Jesus, all the big questions, the end of my life, the huge gap of how we actually live our lives. The gospel doesn't seem relevant. That is Corinth. And what, uh, what Paul does in Corinth, or in 1 Corinthians, what this whole book is about, is Paul takes the gospel, what he, he says the things that are of first importance in 1 Corinthians 15, the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and all of that means for his people. He takes that, 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 that central truth, and he applies it to all of these different issues. Um, he, he takes the gospel and he rigorously applies it to what life in the church looks like and what life in the world looks like. 
So let me give you some examples. And I think, uh, I think Paul's, this is really a unique approach. And it's just one more thing, okay? And it saves us. Anyone here for familiar with 1 Corinthians? Anyone here ever heard it referenced in church before? Okay. Uh, most of the time, 1 Corinthians is treated like kind of like an encyclopedia. It's like, hey, um, oh, the, there's a singleness chapter in chapter 7. There's a spiritual gifts chapter in chapter 12. There's a love chapter in chapter 13. That's the wedding one, right? You know, love is patient and kind, whatever. Okay. Uh, pe- people, just, people just take it out of context. Like they, um, it's, it's this interesting book. It touches all these different things, but it's treated like an encyclopedia. And if, and if you treat it that way, if it's just topical, you're going to miss this. Um, but what 1 Corinthians does, what Paul's aim is, is he takes the truths of the gospel and he applies them onto the daily decisions, daily, daily habits, daily attitudes of believers living in the local church and living before the world. Let's give you some examples, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, all right? The second half, verses 12 through 20. Paul's addressing uh, sexual immorality, all right? Up here real quick. So if you, uh, if you had a Christian brother or sister who was living in sexual sin, all right, uh, how would you confront them? What kind of things would you say about the Lord to help them change? Any thoughts from the audience? Destructive it's destructive. It's bad. Okay, good. What else? Uh, you would have to show them, you know, where in Scripture, you know, it says it is immoral. And good. You know, if they believe the Scriptures are authoritative, they will be condemned. Yeah, great. God says it's wrong. All right, that's all over the Bible. I might do First Thessalonians 4. God judges the sexually immoral. It's a big deal. All right, look at what Paul's... Praying about it. Confronting, but doing it not in a self-righteous, I'm here to chew you out because you're out of line. Yeah. In a humble, compassionate way. Absolutely. You yeah. Further than yeah. Somebody. Humble confrontation. That's good. Uh, but notice, all right, notice almost everything we've said focuses on how it's wrong, it's destructive, it ruins your life. Like Buster says, sin makes you stupid. Okay, that's, that's what we've said so far. Look at what Paul does. Chapter 6, verse, verse 15. All right. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Look at verse 17. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So, Paul says, here's how Paul approaches sexual immorality. He says, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you've trusted Christ, you are one with Christ. Your life, your soul, and your body have been super glued to Jesus. Christ lives in you because of the gospel. So therefore, sexual morality takes Christ and it pollutes him with something evil. Do you all see the difference there? There's a huge difference between saying, because of the gospel, you're one with Jesus. And being one with Jesus has big implications for what you do with your body, whether it's sex or how you treat your body, whatever, okay? You're one with Jesus. That's really different than saying, God judges the immoral, and you better stop it or you're going to ruin, you know, your heart and whatever. Um, we'll do one more. Uh, just, it's just really, really unique and good. Uh, arrogance. The Corinthians were arrogant and boasted. Okay, uh, arrogance is simply having an exaggerated sense of how good or how important you are. All of us are arrogant to some degree. Uh, and boasting is just talking that way, you know, talking about your accomplishments, how well things are going for you, how good you're doing. 
uh, and they really struggled with that. They had all sorts of issues, okay? So if you had a Christian brother or sister that just seemed to be arrogant, you know, they're on social media talking about their wonderful Christian experiences. They're crit- critical of leaders in the church. They, they think they're awesome. They're always the center of everything in their own minds. And, you know, you want to be gentle and humble, okay? But you wanted to confront them, all right? What kind of things might you say to them? Okay, that's good. That's actually 1 Corinthians, all right? That's wonderful. Good, all right? Uh, what else? Anybody heard it? Pride comes before a fall. God okay. opposes the proud and gives grace to the He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What else? You make other people, like, no one wants to be around you, dude. Okay? Like, <laughs> like it's going to mess your life up, you know? Like, being arrogant is bad. Okay? Um, Paul grounds it uh, differently. Um, like Nikki said in verse 4-7, Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? Salvation, spiritual gifts, life, money, whatever it is you have. And that is a gospel gift. It is blood bought by Jesus. You have no reason to boast over anything in your life because it's been given to you. He, says, uh, he even says uh, in uh, verses 20, chapter 1, verses 26 to 30, he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The idea, here, the idea here is your salvation, what salvation is for you, is the story of someone weak and little and nothing being given everything through the work of Jesus. That's what salvation is. And so, so as, a, as a believer who is your story is someone who is nothing, who's been given everything. If that's your story, what, what, are, you, what are you arrogant about? What are you going to boast about? Um, but he, yeah, only God. Well, actually, that's where, that's where Paul goes. Look at verse 30, 31. Um, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And this just kind of turns it on its head. Guys, do you want something to boast about? You want to brag about something? And brag about what Jesus has done for you. So, so again, Again, my whole point here, we'll get into these specific texts through the semester, but my point in all this is that Paul, Paul approaches all these practical issues, like how we do the Lord's Supper, what we do with our bodies, how we talk to each other, how we treat leaders in the church, how we view them. He, he approaches them very different. You know, we're really tempted to say gospel saves and rules and biblical principles are how we live. And in this book, Paul says the gospel saves and the gospel these truths about Jesus, all of its implications, that is how we live. It influences how we view work, how we do our friendships, how we live. So that is, that is the main idea of 1 Corinthians. Paul wants to bridge that gospel gap. He wants to fill all of our daily life decisions with the work of Jesus and all of its implications for us. Um, so, um, one thing I want to do in application, and uh, this is something that we're going to do now for a couple of minutes, uh, and what, if you, uh, if you want to journal through this or think about it, uh, something I just want you to try to get creative about, okay? We're going to spend a lot of time in talking about how Paul addressed the Corinthians, all right, and how he, how he handled their culture. Um, but just for a second, okay, I want you to imagine that the title of this book is First Charlestonians, all right? 
or first Mount Pleasant. Is it Mount Pleasantonians? I don't know what it is. What is it? Mount Pleasantons? That's kind of, that is unsatisfying to me, okay? Um, anyways, imagine that uh, Paul had written to us in the present day, in our culture, all right? How do you think he would, he would address our culture? What, uh, what kind of gospel gaps might we have? What kind of American values and um, cultural, you know, this monolithic culture we have, like, how has that influenced the way we view church and the way we view each other, the way we view the meaning of life, the way we view values? Maybe just write that down and uh, put a question mark by it and maybe spend some time journaling it. Um, and every, everyone's, you know, we've all got different stuff, right? We're, we're all no, one, no one's really uh, unique here. We all have different ways, different gospel gaps. But let me just suggest one as we close, and then we'll, we'll do a little Q&A at the end. Um, I think one thing that impacts us in ways that we don't, uh, we may not think about is American culture is astoundingly consumeristic. It's astoundingly self-centered. Um, for example, people build entire careers on appealing to your desires and preferences. I, uh, I go to the grocery store a good bit. There is an entire aisle in the grocery store devoted to non-alcoholic, non-water beverages, okay? Just soda. And, and for me, okay, I'm a seltzer person, which is soda without sugar, which some of you might think that sounds awful. Okay, I enjoy it, all right? I see that look, okay? Um, <laughs> guys, if I want seltzer, there are five brands and 10 flavors in each brand. And you know, after, after all this, after years, okay, I've decided, okay, my favorites are Apricot LaCroix, all right, which is more expensive, okay, but then also, and also the Harris Teeter Cherry Lime. Those are my favorites, okay? And uh, I don't buy anything else, that's what I get. I like that, you know? Um, I go over one more aisle and I'm a peanut butter person. There are 27 varieties of peanut butter, you know, like anything I want, reduced fat, extra fat, crunchy, you know, whatever, whatever it is I want, you know, um, organic, you know, healthy for you, whatever. I can get whatever I want to. Um, and here's the trouble though. I have been used to that my entire life growing up. You can do baseball, you can do karate, you can do piano, you can do whatever, you, you know, you can do this, that in college. I've got a thousand trillion choices. If I get into any of them, you know, um, even, even, even working, I've got to, I mean, the Lord called me to ministry, but you have choices, right? And it's really easy, I think, in American culture to live life and to live in the church based on your personal preferences and what appeals to your desires and having your needs met. And just, just think, I mean, everybody here knows somebody um, who, has, who has left a church over non gospel issues um and some of us have, have, have been there and guys even me okay i'm not immune from this in ministry okay i have the weird position of having church and job intersect and so all of a sudden it's like all these considerations like salary and location and like what you know what the benefits package like i'm tempted by all those things um in church east Cooper, of course treats us great you know but but like there's this there's this draw to live life based on what i want you know, I mean, guys, we had, now I'll just, I can say this, okay, because uh, I'm not in, nobody like this is in the room, okay. I had parents in the middle school ministry who based their church decisions 
where they went to church on what youth ministry their children liked the best. Just think about that. And now, now, that's shocking, but there are a myriad of examples of that in our lives, right? What worship suits me? Who's the best preacher in town? Is there solid community? And I'm not saying those things are wrong. We need, we need those things. But, but the entire approach of walking into church like you walk into Harris Teeter, all right, that's endemic to our culture. And I think Paul would speak to that. I think that'd be something he talks about. And, and again, uh, in, uh, and, and now, that's, that's, now here's the tricky part, okay? That's the, ooh, that gets me, okay? But now we have to think, okay? How does the gospel change that? It's not just, that's wrong, don't do it. It's not just, ooh, don't do that, okay? It's how does the gospel impact that? Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that the love of Christ controls us because we have been convinced of this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. And Paul's understanding a, a part of the purpose of the cross of Jesus, a, a reason that Jesus came to die, was so that you and I would be freed from ourselves and freed from living like life is all about me and my desires. We'd be free to live for Jesus and to approach relationships, to approach service opportunities, to approach work as an I'm going to live with Jesus's interest and his desires in mind and not my own. And that's, that's, that's real different than saying stop being so selfish, okay? That's, that's real different. And I, I just encourage you guys this, this week, um, take, take five or ten minutes and think about a besetting sin in your life. We all have besetting sins, right? Some of it's anger, lust, struggling with depression, whatever it is, all right? Take, take that and just think for a second. And what's, what's the gap here in my understanding? How does the gospel, how does the truth about Jesus meet me right where I am? Um, so I, uh, I have learned something really cool about diamonds and gems. This is, this is kind of a silly illustration, but um, if you have any fancy jewelry, guys, you probably don't have much, okay? Um, but I learned that, that a diamond, okay, the way a diamond looks... Um, is dependent upon the light which you put it under. So, like, you could take a, you know, let's just say I've got a big one, okay? i got a one-carat stone, okay? And I just hold it up under that fluorescent right, light right there. It would look one way. It'd sparkle a little bit. It might, you know, it might do a little disco ball thing, okay? Um, but if I took it and took it outside in the sunlight, it would look different. If I shot, a, if I shot like, a, a laser pointer through it from different angles, it would refract and do all these crazy things, okay? It's really cool, all right? In 1 Corinthians... That's what the gospel is. It is this precious jewel. It's this wonderful treasure that Paul looks at from 10, 15, 20 different ways and applies it rigorously to our lives. So I'm excited to walk through that with you guys. I'm excited to uh, have it impact my life.